electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, Chinese cities are finally easing COVID restrictions, but there is a lot to unwind. How frightening is that? That they were actually teaming tabs of who was buying cold medicine. And the Twitter files unpacking Elon Musk's decision to reveal Twitter's decision to censor the New York Post back in 2020. Anti-Defamation League CEO Jonathan Greenblatt on who gets to be heard in the era of Elon Musk. Whether we like it or not, Twitter is the public square, but it shouldn't be a firing range, right? Those stories plus OPEC's virtual oil meeting with CNBC's Brian Sullivan. We're in day one of the next leg of Europe's energy woes. And the office is getting its groove back for the holidays. Well, some offices are. CNBC's Sharon Epperson. Sometimes people don't want the drinking and the dancing as much. They want to connect. It's Monday, December 5th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Okay, let's talk about some stocks in China because they saw some strong gains overnight. This after major cities there further relaxing COVID restrictions. Now, over the weekend, Beijing and Shenzhen announcing they would no longer require commuters to show negative COVID test results before travel. Residents also no longer have to provide personal information when buying cough and cold medicine that reverses a policy designed to keep tabs on possible outbreaks. Now, the Hang Seng Tech Index, which represents about the 30 largest tech companies listed in Hong Kong, surged 9%, 9%. That's up 23% quarter to date, but still down 25% for the year. Because China casino stocks uh, sharply higher as well on that news, as you might imagine, of this relaxed COVID rules. And the travel stocks uh, out there listed in Hong Kong also rising. And a related story this morning. Reports say that Apple supplier Foxconn expected its COVID-stricken plant in Zeng, um, um, in, I never, I'm not, my pronunciation, Shenzhen, is, um, you, know, you don't want to mess up the pronunciation. Uh, its largest iPhone factory in the world uh, will resume 100% production later this month or early next month. That factory has been dealing with outbreaks and worker unrest in recent weeks. So you got to go with it because no one's going to know well, at, at home. That there's might a thousand be the case. Ci- There's a thousand cities with a million people. That might be the case. How, fri- how frightening is that, that they... That they were actually keeping tab- tabs of who was buying cold yeah. medicine. I know, that I was mean, one of those things I didn't realize they were doing. Keeping tabs of... Who we, bought cold medicine? Who bought cold medicine? We sort of do medicine. that here. Only by with the way. Stu- no, not with everything. Only with the behind-the-counter stuff that you can actually right. turn into. No, yeah, we're doing drugs. it for that. They're doing it to see if you might be no, sick and you're not. I know. I know. So if you, you buy Dayquil and all of a sudden they show up at your house, make you take a COVID you got test, allergies. and if you have it, they're going to take you away and lock yeah. you what up. If you got allergies and kill any house pets you have, you've looked at me a couple of times. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you cough, I think you should be tracked. <laughs> You'll see. You'll see. You'll see as you get a little. The whole peristalsis thing becomes more of a. I mean, I have to think about it now. There's so many things you have to look forward to. I'm just telling you. 
Uh, how about Friday? The, the market's remarkable turnaround yep. after the better than expected jobs report that made people think the Fed. It was, was down going four or five hundred. It closed the yeah. Dow with the blue chips closed up. The other averages closed down. I have a whole new theory. I have a whole new theory, yeah. and that is, some people think the market is stupid or players are stupid for ignoring Jay Powell. What if Jay Powell is not paying enough attention to the markets to see that maybe they're indicating? that we're closer to a pivot than he liked to think. And, and my, the other thing. See, Although, did you hear Larry Summers over the weekend? I did. I don't Summers care about him. And so I, dead on on a lot I, of this stuff I don't stuff care about the, broke, the ultimate broken clock, Nuriel Rubini, either. No, but Larry Summers has been right Well, on he's a lot been of right things. about some things and wrong about others. And I've watched him uh, for a long time. He thinks Recently, they need to go higher. Like yeah. But then, uh, almost everyone thinks they need to get, and, and the other thing, is 3% inf- is that going to kill me? 3% inflation? If we can get to 3% no, inflation, I think the Fed would take a I think a everyone would be lap. quite happy if everyone yeah. got to 3% inflation. What's this two thing? What, what, since when is two like the perfect inflation? Like the inflation? last 40 years. But, but I think if you get to three, the Fed would take a victory lap well, and I say do that's too. enough. I'm saying three, which is, you know, it's two, three is 50% higher than two. But three looks it's a only heck of a lot a, better than seven. Two is only a third lower than three. <laughs> OPEC countries agreeing to stick with their previously announced uh, production cuts. Let's get to Brian Sullivan. Um, if he doesn't go to Vienna, he goes to, to Brussels with the latest uh, headlines. Brian. Yeah, Joe. Okay, listen, there is a lot going on. And I thought your China discussion was really, really important because it kind of layers into today. All right, so let's get into everything that is happening. No, we are not in Vienna. OPEC meeting virtually yesterday, but OPEC really just kind of a smaller part of the overall story. So let's walk through what is happening in global energy markets today as we are in Brussels. Hello to our new friends from Poland, or as they called it, Coland. They were sort of joking about their own energy problems, having to go back to coal. All right, get to that. So you've got the OPEC meeting where they continue their production cuts, 2 million barrels a day. We know it's not the full number, obviously more like 900,000, but still they are not adding production. All at a time when the European Union sanctions on seaborne, meaning coming from a ship, Russian oil go into effect today. There are still going to be some exemptions for maybe some pipeline fuel going into Germany. We don't know all that, of course, still I probably still finally being hammered out here in the European Union behind us. You've got this $60 Brent crude price cap, which is also going into effect today, which is probably the level where Russia is selling oil anyway. So it's not going to do a lot, but it's politically expedient and it's enough to kind of maybe keep oil flowing. And what you guys just talked about, guys, All on those same days, today, one day, we have China, which has decided to sort of reopen its economy and thus likely use more fuel. Now, I'm no math expert, but there are 365 days in the year, so that's what he carried the one, 0.275% chance that China announces a reopening on the exact same day that the price cap and the sanctions all going to affect, oh, and by the way, Alexander Novak, the energy minister from Russia, was just in China talking about energy. Maybe it's all coincidence, who knows? By the way, Russia guys vowing retaliation. The Russian ambassador to, you named it, Joe, Vienna, coming out over the weekend. I don't need to read the tweet. You can read it for yourself, basically saying, today, the European Union will get no more oil. So if you're not tracking it, Europe has said, we're not going to use any more Russian oil. Russia says, fine, we're not giving you any more Russian oil. The only question now that needs to be answered 
is where does that one to one and a half million barrels, where does it come from? The U.S. can't do it. A couple hundred thousand barrels, maybe. Kazakhstan, who knows? Norway. There's a, we're in day one of the next leg of Europe's energy woes, guys. Hey, Brian, I have a couple of questions. The, the, I keep reading about natural gas levels in Italy and in the European Union. Sounds like Italy's at 90%. That's up from where they were last year at this time, but it sounds like it's a much more dire prediction to be at just 90%, almost like if you've got a really long day, it's 4 a.m., you know you're not going to be able to charge your battery on your phone, and you're starting at 90%. Not great odds for what's going to happen. No, and there is, Becky, this sort of weird narrative going around, weird is my word, where Europe's energy crisis is over because their natural gas storage levels were slightly higher than they were or or were expected to be. Now, tomorrow, primarily, we're going to focus on natural gas, so I don't want to go too much down that road and steal the coverage. But I will say this, Becky, nobody you talk to says the problems are over. Remember this, about 55% of the European Union's natural gas storage this year was done with Russian gas, with the exception of a small pipeline coming through uh, the Druzba pipeline, which is about 11 billion cubic meters a day, which is about, I don't know, about 5% of the total flow overall. Russian gas is off. Europe is going to have to do something it has never done, and that is fill all of its gas storage for next year using almost no Russian gas. Oh, and by the way, Here's a secret. Don't tell anybody, Becky. Russia is still selling huge quantities of liquefied natural gas, LNG, to Europe. Doesn't get a lot of attention. And now with these sanctions of the cap, there is very growing concern. What will Putin do? Will Putin suddenly stop selling that LNG as well? If he does, that will add another leg to this energy story. And by the way, you can see the gloves. It's cold. And cold is bad because it drains that storage. Yep, that's true. All right, uh, got a place there, like a place where we'd, we'd go. Brian, have you found any? If I ever got there when you're there, or, or it's just we have our place in yes. Vienna, that's it. We, we, we have our place, and there's a place in there, Joe, for you. It's the coffee shop at the European Commission. We'll go in there. We'll drink four-euro coffee. It'll be lukewarm and about that tall. <laughs> It'll be great. I'm saving one for you. Sounds, uh, sounds, sounds awesome. They do have good football Just players, for you. which I realized uh, watching our team try to play a, uh, actually, an actual American good team. American football or like uh, he made No, I meant watching. Uh, the Netherlands showed me what you can do if you're amazing. like good. They were pretty amazing. You see I, those three goals? Yes, I did. It's like, it's like surgical. And then we're like, it's kind of sad. Uh, maybe, and they say, hey, four years will come in no time. Really? I hope not. Look, we, we did really well to get as far as we did. Always I mean, it's, watching the, 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 all three of those goals. Did you watch them? Yeah, I'm like, I know. oh, it, my it, God. They set it up all the way from way before midfield. And, and how many oh, times? Went American to the in a did bar you, of 100 Dutch people. I was oh. in a Dutch bar with 100 Dutch people and me. I know. And, and then, I, like, they were, like, were wearing fine until we shirt? scored. Then they all kind of turned and looked at me. It was like, oh. and then they were like, I had a flag. I bet the whole bar I would, I would like, hold up a Dutch flag. If, if they won, and then they, right. you know, and then oh, they won. Lucky and then you didn't drinks. Flag. Here's another there idea. A, did I mention there was a hundred of them and me? Yeah, you're Still lucky you didn't bet them all drinks. Favor, but, you know. 
You'd be too short to be a goalie over there, too. You need an eight-foot goalie. Right. How about that? That, that was the guy. He was unbelievable. And by the way, there were, a couple of, there were a couple of really close moments for the U.S. See that team. one? Yeah. yeah, there were, but there were also a bunch of times where any decent pass... It, Don't it tell anybody, have... but Brussels didn't advance. I better, or Belgium didn't advance. I well, I, again, I am proud Belgium. of our team. They, well, they you're did, nice. They got, they got, no, I, I really am. They got really far. This is farther than we've Two made goals. in a long time. Two goals. And, and one of them, the guy almost got killed from doing it. And the other one was like the last guy to touch it was a guy from the Netherlands. Thanks to Brian Sullivan. Next on Squawk Pod, the Twitter files continue. A return of some key advertisers to the platform and deciding which personalities should steer clear of the town square indefinitely. CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenblatt. We will fight ferociously for the First Amendment, but freedom of speech shouldn't be the freedom to slander people. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. And got to talk about some advertising though right now and got to talk Twitter. Apple and Amazon now planning to resume advertising on Twitter. That's according to a report by platformer Elon Musk announcing during a Twitter Spaces conversation on Saturday. By the way, got over a million people listening to it at the same time that Apple has now fully resumed advertising. Apple is Twitter's largest advertiser. Last week, reports say that Twitter sent an email to ad agencies offering customers incentives to increase spending on the site. Okay. I have a cynical take. I'm sorry for it. So last week, Elon Musk goes after Apple. I mean, hardcore after Apple on the 30%. What happens? Tim Cook calls him. He ends up at Apple's headquarters. You probably saw that. Elon Musk walks around. Remember, you were, we were talking about the picture of the, yeah. the wall, right? So you think it was a trade-off. And now, said, Elon okay, Musk, and now, advertising back, and now Apple is all of a sudden their largest advertiser, and you will probably not hear a word for at least some period of time about his great frustrations with the 30% problem but at Apple. Neither so one of them, neither you one tell, of them. You tell me what just I'm happened. I'm just saying, neither one of them want their dirty laundry splayed out over the, the airwaves 24, 24 hours a day. I know it. Neither I'm just one of them, and it wasn't, you know. good, it wasn't good for anything. The other thing that, that I'm struck with, regrettably, is that I'm addicted to that horrific Twitter, um, just like everybody else. It's going to be much harder to say, all right, I'm done, <laughs> than, than, we, than we say it is. And, and I, think, I think legacy media is somewhat... Uh, 
uh, uh, jealous, envious, worried uh, that Twitter sucks up so much of the oxygen. And, and I get a lot of, there's a lot of things that I've displaced with solely Twitter. And I can ignore the crazy 8% that Arthur Brooks talks about, the, the trolls, the haters, the ones that, that stir up all the problem, and, and try to focus on the goodness uh, that, that I can find at times on Twitter and the humanity. It's really hard. <laughs> and, and the humanity. And now to the Twitter files. Late Friday, journalist Matt Taibbi uh, released details about Twitter's censorship of a news story about Hunter Biden uh, in 2020, controversially uh, blocking people from Twitter and direct messaging about it. In a Twitter thread, Taibbi said he received thousands of internal documents uh, from sources at Twitter. And this is boilerplate. Uh, people get mad. <laughs> I think I'm mad when you read this. They're going to get mad at me. NBC News has not seen or verified those files. Uh, the thread most, uh, mostly revealed deliberations both internally at Twitter and externally, including with Congressman Ro Khanna about Twitter's move to restrict access uh, to the article. Khanna questioned Twitter's reasoning uh, for blocking the story. Musk has uh, been critical of Twitter's actions during the 2020 election, including uh, freezing the account of the New York Post. Joining us now, Jonathan Greenblatt, the CEO, National uh, Director of the Anti- uh, defamation league when when good to have you Great in, to see you. in studio again last time you were on um, I don't know whether you've revised what what you told me which I was pleased with and gratified that you thought that when you met with Elon Musk you yeah. thought that he understood uh, the problem and was going to to do the necessary things to uh, to make you happy in, in your efforts. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not about making me happy. It's no, about fighting you know hate. Uh, it's set to satisfy your concerns. Well, look, I think, look, Elon has undertaken an extraordinary challenge. I mean, whether we like it or not, Twitter is the public square, but it shouldn't be a firing range, right? I think it's really challenging for us in an environment where hate and incitement is thriving on the platform. Now, I know he has the right intentions because I believe that advertisers will flee if he gets it wrong. He knows that, you know, brand safety is linked to user safety. The challenge is, does he have clear and transparent policies to support that idea? And is he resourcing it effectively? That's what I'm not sure about. One of the things I saw in your notes was that you said that anti-Semitism has been normalized. And I, I said, I think that's they're totally untrue. I think right. it, I've, in fact, I think that shining, uh, putting the light of day on it, the revulsion from 99.9% .9 of the people that, that saw the, whatever that was down at, in, in Florida and, and any of the crazy stuff you see on yeah. Twitter, you shine a light on it and I, I don't think it's any more accepted. I think it's less accepted uh, than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, you know? I totally appreciate that point of view. I think if you ask Jewish people, they're seeing, you know, the hate spread in places they never would have imagined before, whether it's comedians or athletes or celebrities. They're seeing Amazon still, you know, selling that well, movie Faircon that we've talked been around about. for a long time. I, it, it, that almost looks like Faircon 2.0, the, the Kanye stuff. It's just, it's disgusting and no but one... he's the most, one of the most well-known entertainers even, on the planet. Well, he's well-known, but he's, he's, what, he's like so compromised at this point, I don't even know if he can make earn a living. He wears a Spider-Man outfit when he goes out <laughs> so you can't recognize him. Right, I, I suppose. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, the reason why Jewish people are so concerned is anti-Semitism has reached historic highs in terms of actual incidents. And when we're seeing it again spouted again and again, and by the way, 
when you hear terms like globalist or replacement theory on some other networks, like those are code words for Jews and those are code for anti-Semitism, Joe, and they're not going away. What do you make of Apple becoming now the biggest advertiser again on the platform? How much do you think that was driven by Elon sort of speaking out against their 30% cut of, mm. of the App Store versus something else? Well, look, I think Elon has extraordinary personal appeal. I think he went right to Tim Cook and he said, this is what my intent is. And Tim is giving him the benefit of the doubt and giving him a chance, which I get. Again, like Twitter is incredibly complicated. It's not going to be solved overnight. But the reality is a lot of brands have not gone back on the platform because they still haven't seen the clear and transparent policy. Do you think they should or they shouldn't? I, I understand what Tim's trying to do. I understand right. how popular an app it is. I understand that he wants to give Elon an opportunity. We all want to give Elon an opportunity, but he's got to show some progress. How, how would he show progress? Like what Well, would, look, what he has done, like? like, he personally intervened about Kanye and took that account down. Yeah. He personally intervened on another account a few weeks ago that was promoting anti-Zionist hate. That's great. But we need clear policies, not personal intervention. Can we so talk? I, th well. I, th I think that's really key. Can we talk about the Twitter files themselves, which is to say it was pretty eye-opening to see some of the back and forth going on yeah. inside the company over, over the New York Post article, which, of course, now this, this morning, the New York Post is that this morning? Uh, has fed lies uh, related to some of this. But um, there's two pieces to it. Some, some of the stuff that was taken, to, and look, that article should have stayed up, Yeah, I, I think. I don't know where you are. But the other piece of it is some of the stuff that was being taken down apparently were, you know, it was porn, pic, you know, <laughs> pictures that were not uh, appropriate uh, to begin with. Yeah. So, so how do you measure those two pieces? Well, and, look, and the communications that clearly were happening from both the uh, Biden campaign and then separately, in truth, from the White House. So there are a couple of things. So number one, I don't think the Twitter files are exactly the Pentagon Papers. So you've got to keep this in some perspective. That being said, it might be worse, Jonathan. If worse they, if than the Pentagon. No. Well, it might be worse in terms of of, of the uh, national when, when you got people like Brennan and Clapper still haven't responded to to, and even the president said uh, the, 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 he knew it wasn't Russian disinformation. He still fed into that. Okay, so I, I, and you saw how the election I, finally did turn. Do you think it would have changed the election? That's a pretty big deal. <laughs> I'm not a political scientist. I don't well, whether it's it changed the election or not, but I don't think it's the Pentagon Papers. That being said, I mean, I wasn't a fan of old Twitter. Well, just so I had the same questions about them. You need you're not discourse. lessening how, how egregious this is. I understand. Okay, forget the Pentagon Papers. I don't know how you compare one thing to another. You but in need terms of how serious on this the platform. is, I mean, Ro Khanna was the only Democrat who said anything. You need open discourse on these platforms. You do. Right. And there are legitimate questions, which I think you need to provide room to debate. And, you know, keeping out stories that are literally front page in the paper, I don't think that's really healthy for debate or discussion. I don't. And yet, like my area of focus is hate and incitement. And there should be no debate or no discussion about that, Joe. And I think you and I agree on no, that. No, we agree on that. But uh, I, I, don't, I can't say, well, it was just going to be, you know, they kept out a front page paper. I, I don't know where this all leads. I really don't. I don't, th I don't think we know where this no, leads no, but at the, this point. But the point is, and, and this was the question, the article should have remained. Yes. I don't think that's... They made up a hacking excuse to, but I don't to think get rid that, of it. Right, but I don't think and that's it, in question. But then you look, for example, at the links that were being eliminated. James and, Wood was posting pictures of his junk. 
And do you want to see? Well, no. I, I, that's but no, but that's but, but just, when you saw the the Biden the campaign probably. asking for for links to be taken down, those were the links that they were they were asking to be taken down. At the same time, you had the Trump administration, which was in the White House at the time, right? Yeah. So the, so Trump was an elected official. You talk we about don't free speech. Bill Barr Hold on, you talk about free speech. Right. Talk about the Constitution, all of that. You know, that's the president asking for certain things to be removed. So right. that's why this, to me, is not like a cut and dry it's not Pentagon so paper situation. And I, that's not to be defensive of one position or another. I think this thing, this piece from the Post should have absolutely remained on the platform. I agree. Look, and it's not just Twitter. It's, it's across the board. I mean, when you look at it, it's frightening. It's frightening to see how everyone got in lockstep with that. Papers, mainstream media, networks, everybody. Leslie Stahl, I mean, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. And like I say, I don't know where it leads, but, you know, if it leads to a 10% here, a big guy here, a discussing business here, a influence peddling here, it could lead to real, real things that we needed to know about. And that for mainstream media not to have any interest in pursuing it is wrong. And it's, I, I don't understand it. I don't, well, I do understand it, but it's egregious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, like I said, I think you need the open discourse. You need People need to make decisions on their own. And there's a lot of things that needs to be within bounds and some out of bounds. One of the biggest questions Elon's going to have to deal with is this issue of links on tweets. So when it links to something like pornographic right. material, should there be room for it? I personally don't think so. Andy Jassy? Oh, well, you, you want to talk about Amazon. Yeah, look, like while we're talking about Twitter... Uh, on this show, ADL, we're talking about Amazon. That movie, that hateful, insightful movie, which, whose name I won't mention, is still up on the platform. Andy was at DealBook last yeah. week saying they have no intent of taking it down, and now they are kind of hemming and hawing and even putting a disclaimer on it. But guess what? They are breaking the law in places like Germany, other parts of Europe, where Holocaust denialism is illegal. So at ADL, we're working now with the German government, encouraging right. them to pursue this. If Amazon's breaking the law, they should be held so, accountable. Can I ask a question? Yeah. And I said this to Andy. I'm Jewish. I don't like, I don't like anything like this. Having said that, and I'm not being defensive of, of this position at all, there are so many books on this platform, I mean, that say all sorts of crazy things about all sorts of, all sorts of crazy things. Right. And, and the question is, who is... Who is the arbiter? Where does the hate piece, um, what's the line there? The hate piece leading to the violence piece, sort of, and, and who, do you, who is supposed to do that? Because there are literally millions of books on the platform, and I don't know what the right answer is. I, I, I really don't. In this particular case, I don't like, I, but, I, but again, I haven't read this book, so I can't speak yeah. to exactly what we're talking about here. Yep. Look, I think your audience trusts you here at Squawk Box to curate guests who are legitimate or have valid points of views that are within bounds, if you will. I think we as consumers of Amazon trust them to curate content, books, movies, products that are within a set of bounds and norms. That movie is out of bounds and that movie is beyond our norms. So there's a category buyer for books or a category buyer for movies who's got to use Amazon's values to make values-based decisions. But this comes back to a, it's not really a rules-based decision, it's based on the decisions of humans, which, you know, like, like so much of life. I know, but Elon Musk doing one-offs is, you know, you're saying that's not enough, that it has to be rules-based. It's pretty tough to find rules-based scenarios around all of this stuff because it's in the eye of the beholder. None of this is easy. 
and there's nuance in all of it, and so I'm not trying to but oversimplify Jonathan, here. Jonathan, the, the ADL, or maybe let's talk ACLU. The, you remember, and we brought this up before, and it's just one instance, but, and I was a kid, and I remember um, white supremacists marching in Skokie That's with the, at, with the ACL's, mm -hmm. not blessing, but they were very intent on making sure that they were there defending the rights of these people to yep. do that. Yep. Was that a mistake? And how did we go? You're 180 degrees from that. Was it a mistake that they did that? Look, what's changed? And, and I think certain media outlets where you would think free speech was going to be the last thing that they would right. give up. Right. Suddenly they're anti-free speech. Like what media outlets do you mean? Uh, like they, Twitter they take in the your past? pick. No, I think maybe Twitter highlighted. I'm, I'm not going to throw myself under the bus. <laughs> but mainstream media okay. outlets, you can find representatives at every one of them that suddenly are, are anti-free speech. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the abstract, like it's hard for me to respond. But, but let me be specific with you. Mm -hmm. The ACLU and these issues of free speech, we will fight ferociously for the First Amendment. But freedom of speech, as I've said on the show, shouldn't be the freedom to slander people. And you have a right to march and share your ideas, but is it a good idea for you to march in front of a synagogue where there are Holocaust survivors? I don't think so. Take your march and just move it over here. There are ways to manage this, Joe. We've done this as a society for hundreds of years. We need to adopt norms and policies. But the goalposts, to me, appear to have moved in terms of. Uh, so that was. We have Nazis back on Twitter this morning, right? right. Goalposts have moved. Usually you wouldn't find them in any mainstream media outlets. Again, I think we need to work harder, and I hope Twitter gets it right. We all want Twitter to succeed. We all want it all to right. succeed. Good to have you on. Great Always to good to be with you guys. Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, holiday parties return. Who is celebrating and how? Is pot legal everywhere? What if you can't like go to your office party and just light one up? Can I bet you? they can. I don't know. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod, and it's that time of year. The holidays, but are you partying like it's 2019? Here's Becky Quick. Well, COVID canceled many office parties over the last two years. Now the company Holiday Bash seems poised for a comeback, maybe. But how are business leaders and managers handling the festivities in the midst of inflation, economic uncertainty, and layoffs? CNBC's Sharon Epperson joins us right now with some findings from a new report. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Becky. You know, before the pandemic, the office holiday party had become a staple. In 2010, nearly 75% of companies had holiday parties. Then COVID concerns canceled most events, and now year-end festivities are staging a comeback, with 42% of companies plan to hold in-person holiday parties after one or more years of not having one. 
That's according to a new report from Challenger, Gray and Christmas. Now, even as companies aim to cut costs, Andy Challenger says business leaders need to be aware of the messages they send by cutting out the holiday party altogether. A little bit of a risky move at a time when the labor market's still really tight. There's lots of opportunities out there, so you don't want to send a negative signal to your employees. Still, companies don't want to appear thoughtless in holding a big celebration after mass layoffs. In the tech sector, which has seen significant job cuts so far this year, less than a quarter of firms are planning a holiday bash. Many other industries, though, seem to be in a party mood, from airlines and aerospace to car makers, business support, education, and food and beverage sectors. Some firms are also seriously decking the calls with catered events and plenty of alcohol. Now others are scaling back, having smaller gatherings or foregoing the holiday party, but planning gatherings at other times of the year. So they're trying to figure out how to do it differently, but do something. Yeah. Do, do Uber, number one. If you're, if you're serving alcohol. Right. Right. If you're over-served. Well, that's one thing that may be changing. They're saying that sometimes people don't want the drinking and the, and the right. dancing as much. They want to connect. This is a time for remote workers, hybrid workers to be brought back into being together, meet the people that they see on Zoom, meet the people from other departments. And so having an experience, some HR leaders were saying a scavenger hunt, an escape room, something that's a little different that gets people to connect. Is, is pot legal what everywhere? What is, you can't like <laughs> go to your office party and just light one up, can I bet you? they with, can, I don't know. With your boss? Sitting right there? Probably. Maybe that's what's Dude, going on. Uh, no. Way to make a good impression. Huh? I, way to make a good impression. I think the biggest thing is. And then you shouldn't drive either. The, it not is, too well, yeah. Because, I mean, you, you don't want to look like it's a you hey, don't. great time. Exactly. At, exactly. Lost friends or colleagues or so we talked to HR consultants who are not about that. Go to do more. Exactly. So we talked to HR consultants about that. They said keep it small, make it team based, but you want to retain the workers that you have and you want them to feel like they are productive, they're motivated, and celebrate what they have done right. So it's not like you're doing a massive, perhaps corporate-wide event, but something to just let the people who are still working for you know that they're appreciated. Yeah, it's a tricky situation. Though. Yeah, it is. Sharon, thanks. Sure. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. On our rundown tomorrow, we are coming to you from our nation's capital. We're excited to share with you a new special series of Squawk Pod episodes this week, featuring exclusive interviews with leaders of America's biggest companies. We're talking wages, workers, the economy, what keeps our nation's CEOs up at night, and what gets them going in the morning. It's called Squawk Pod Reports, and it'll be available in your podcast feed, but only if you click follow on Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. And make sure you do it. You don't want to miss tomorrow's episode, an interview with J.P. Morgan Chase CEO, Jamie Dimon. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin every weekday morning on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow with an extra special day of Squawk Pod. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 